I remember growing up, nobody had a political opinion. Like nobody really cared. Uh, nobody was emotionally invested into any of the political dramas that was taking place in the news. Now you must pick a side. They got so good at making it a showbiz, like a TV show where you always have to have a favorite character, otherwise you're just not principal, which is absolute bullshit. Welcome to Life with Bitcoin, where we focus on the human side of Bitcoin to explore the life, culture, and transformative power in Bitcoin. I'm your host, Vivian. Thanks for tuning in. Today, the guest who will be joining us is Katie the Russian. Welcome, Katie. Thank you so much. Pleasure to be here. So Katie is the founder and CEO of Plan B Passport, helping people reach greater levels of security and safety for their family and legally protect their assets. She's also a Russian-born citizen, first-generation immigrant, wife, mom, and of course, a Bitcoiner. I have so many questions. Um, there, there are a lot of combination of how you grew up and your upbringing and of course, your journey in Bitcoin and what you're doing right now are very interesting. Um, so I want to uncover more of these, the experience side of things um, for these aspects of your life. So shall we start from your time coming to the US? Um, you're Katie the Russian, so I'm taking a wild guess here that you're a Russian. <laughs> so could you walk us through how the journey was like coming to the U.S.? Yeah, absolutely. So I was studying economics and finance in St. Petersburg, and I was a professional athlete at the time. So after two years of studying economics in my university, I realized how outdated the information was, how not applicable it was, because we were studying the, a lot of Western books that were completely non-applicable to like a Russian economy whatsoever. So I started questioning all that. And um, at some point, I just decided to maybe potentially study abroad. And at this point, I did not speak any English, not a word, absolutely nothing. And uh, I started Googling around. I was not happy with my university anymore. And I found this link, um, full scholarship for athletes in the United States. And the link was in Russian. I was like, wait a second. So I can have a full scholarship and study in the U.S. So that kind of got me down the rabbit hole. And I realized as an athlete, I can actually move to the U.S. quite easily. So when I was 21, uh, I spent six months studying English in my hometown where nobody speaks English, not a single native speaker, obviously, quite a, probably two good tutors in the whole city. Um, so I spent six months learning English and then I moved to the U.S. at the age of 21. Um, and then I was able to legalize myself here through the thing called Extraordinary Abilities. Um, and this immigration journey kind of launched my career because my lawyer at the time completely abandoned me. Like she scammed me. I sent her $12,000, never heard from her ever again. Just stopped answering my emails, my phone calls. And I basically ended up self-representing my immigration case. And guess what? It turned into career. Wow, this is wild. I was really afraid to stay an immigrant for the rest of my life because I've, I witnessed a lot of those people in Miami like they've been there for 15 years and they ask me to call a doctor and schedule an appointment because they're not able to do that. So I was really afraid of that. So my first year, I kind of got out of Russian speaking community. I really 
put myself in a very uncomfortable position, but it was a good it was a good move at the time. As a 21 year old, I didn't need comfort. I didn't need a lot of money to survive. Uh, I was ready for a challenge. I was up for it, and I'm I'm very thankful to Katie seven years ago for doing that. For sure. And uh, what were your what's the sports you play? Uh, sailing. I was a national champion wow. of Russia in sailing, and then I was in top twenty world ranking. So America gave me a green co- green card in a matter of like four months. Nice. Wow, that's very impressive.、Um, do you still sail sometimes? Not much these days at all. I picked up new hobbies that were at first more pregnancy friendly. Uh, more mom friendly, and、uh, yeah, now I play tennis mostly. When you were first thinking about coming to the U.S.,、um, were your family supportive? I would say so. Yeah,、um, I had a lot of freedom growing up. A lot of self self responsibility were kind of given to me at the very young age. I joined the national team when I was eleven, which means I started traveling for at least six months out of a year when I was eleven. So I barely went to school. I barely was in my hometown.、Uh, I was traveling with a national team, seeing my parents here and there.、Um, so they had a lot of trust in my decision making. They knew that I'm very capable of taking care of myself at this point. So when I called my dad, and I was living two thousand miles away, so I just give him a call. I'm like, "Hey, Dad, I decided I'm gonna go to the U.S." Like well, cheers for that,、uh, and that that was basically his response. Wow,、uh, and I'm sure being an athlete and like you said, starting travel started to travel from a very young age, a very special experience for a, a child growing up. So in hindsight,、um, the Katie today, well, how do you make sense of that experience? What do you think that experience contributed to you as a person today? Yeah, now analyzing it, oh, so much went into that. First of all, obviously, being able, being self-responsible. Like you have one coach and seventeen kids between ages of ten and fifteen. He has no time for you. He's not gonna babysit you. He gives you full power of self-responsibility. And then you are on a boat by yourself. It's a single-handed boat. Boat. So there's nobody to ask for help, and you are like, what, seventy pounds, ten-year-old girl. In Italy, in some really cold lake, and it's a storm, and you have to figure out how to get yourself home safely. So all these experiences really kind of prepared me to be a Bitcoiner too, because self responsibility is like a, a very anchoring thing in Bitcoin, in my opinion. I on the team, I was the only girl most of the time, so it's like sixteen dudes and me. Uh, I learned how to cook very early because I could not eat what they were cooking at all. I had to cook for the whole team, and then just being able to find the communication methods with a bunch of dudes, which is also very common in Bitcoin. So I felt very comfortable in this community. Just the athletic mindset of like, I'm gonna give everything I can to that, and if it works out, great. Like that's just. What I've been doing in life too, with my business, with immigration, like never give up kind of mentality is given to all athletes. Very huge respect for anyone who's like athletes, because there there are things that I can keep up, that I can put down some discipline and keep up, but 
sports, it's probably not one of them. Like anything that's too, it involves a lot of physical pain. Um, then these are the areas that I started to really get get weakened. In hindsight, I'm sure it's it's giving you a lot of the perspective of what the world was like and the horizon that you had as a kid just to realize how big the world is. But even just the experience of being in different places and seeing different people in their walks of life, um, I'm sure it, it would be a life-changing experience growing up. And what happened to your lawyer? Like, is, is she any legit? Still have no idea. Um, the website is no longer live. And she's in Oklahoma, so just a few hours drive from me. But at this point, I'm almost thankful for this experience because oh, it really course. did launch my career. Um, I really pushed myself. Again, I had to be on a call with U.S. Immigration Office for hours at a time with no English. So it really pushed me to learn a little more. Um, it's really hard to tell the nature of something at the time. It's it's almost never, you can almost never tell at the time because you, you look back and there's no, in a way, there's no wasted effort. It's always going to come back and serve you in some way, even if it's not right away. And as someone who's new to the country with very little context of the culture, of the language, and this happened, how were you dealing with it? It was really tough. It was definitely, the first two years of immigration were a survival experience for me. And at the time, I thought, well, I'm going to prescribe immigration to everybody. Everybody must go through this experience. It made, makes them so much stronger, makes them completely question everything they knew and know. But now, seven years later, I'm like, I'm not sure I want my daughter to go through that because it was, it was a little too tough, I would say. It took me then probably around five years to soften up after this experience and get back to my normal self without seeing the world as a fight. But besides the case, how long did it last? Like how, how long it took you to win the case? So four months later, I was approved from the moment of submitting the documents to actually getting my letter of approval. But then it became even more funny. They lost my green card in the mail somewhere, and it took them okay. a year and a half to find it. So this whole time, I was officially legally in the country, but I had very hard time proving it because all the documents that I was supposed to receive were lost somewhere. So I remember I was driving across the country a lot because um, I was basically a digital nomad and I drove from Miami to San Francisco and back a few times. And I'm driving by the Mexican border and I see a huge border control station. And I remember myself shaking because I have this letter of approval from USCIS that is completely outdated, over a year, over a year old. I don't have my green card yet. And I'm like driving through this border and I'm like, that they're going to get me in jail. I'll have a hard time proving my case. Like, it's going to be a disaster. And she looks at me and she sees a blonde girl and she realizes I definitely did not just cross the Mexican border. She's like, oh, just go. <laughs> I was shaking for the next two hours. Not kidding. I'm driving and I still, like, I understand why she didn't stop me because, like, that's a completely different case that they're looking for. But, oh my God, that was one of the scariest experiences of my life. 
And you said the first couple of years were very much survival mode. And besides dealing with the presenting your own case, what are other main challenges you had at the time? Poverty, basically. <laughs> I moved with like three and a half thousand dollars. Um, and for $2,700 I spend on the car because I realized public transportation doesn't exist in this oh, country. No. Oh my God. <laughs> and then I paid for one month's rent for a room that had no windows because it was like a room inside the room. They just put a wall um, with a lot of cockroaches. And I was like, well, <laughs> what am I wow. going to eat tomorrow? So that was definitely an uh, interesting experience. Wow. And this, this state lasted until you started Plan B? No, before Plan B, I was doing a lot of web design and development. I had a small web shop, basically, and that was already giving me a comfortable life, I'd say. Um, but then Plan B Passport, I never consciously planned to start this business. I was just very passionately talking about my experience realizing how the flag theory as a concept is extremely powerful and aligned with Bitcoin because I was already a Bitcoiner. And I just wanted to scream from every mountain, like, look into second passports, look into second residency, like you just need it for safety and security of your family. And the more I was talking about it, the more people like slid into my DMs for consultancy. I'm like, wait a second, I think I have an audience and I don't have a product to sell. So I started, I started researching more. I um, like I for a long time I had an imposter syndrome, thinking, "What do I know?" So for like a year, Plan B Passport existed, but any time I had a friend coming over, I would like send them to another business because I was not ready to take on a full-on client. Um, but yeah, now I'm realizing I I am truly an expert, and I have so much subconscious or unconscious expertise at this point because I lived through immigration then I moved to Latin America for almost a year so I went through like Latin American immigration and I'm just really doing like sometimes it amazes me how well I connect the knowledge like small pieces of information that I collected over the years in the immigration world all over the world in so many jurisdictions it just falls into this really large piece of expertise. The fact that you've personally lived through that and you have to represent yourself, the whole experience makes you very emotionally intelligent in that in that regard. You know what it's like and you can you can bring that sense of compassion into the, the dealings in the business and with all of your clients. Yeah, absolutely. I see families going through immigration. I see the position from which they're seeking the second passport, because like Americans, for example, they can't really save on taxes. They are not really planning to relocate. They want to stay in the U.S., but the sense of security and safety they want to achieve through getting a passport that is even less powerful than their current passport. But I truly understand it because, I mean, growing up in Russia, you do not have any, any, um, how do you say confidence in your state in your government and i say that nobody should have the confidence in their government because <laughs> those are not to be trusted so having this second passport just really gives you the optionality and choices which in bitcoin we really value what was your experience especially you have all these reference points growing up and living in russia what was it like i think my childhood was perfect i don't know um everything i remember 
my husband thinks that I have a positive memory, that I uh, only remember the good things. But I truly think that I was the happiest child that I've ever met. Like, I did all the things that I loved. I didn't hate my school whatsoever because I was barely attending it. I never fought with my sister or my sibling. I had great relationship with my parents. I don't know. My my childhood was perfect. And I grew up in a small town. Well, considerably small. But we had an amazing lake where I could train sailing like five months a year when it's not iced. A lot of nature. It's in the mountains. So I was snowboarding every day, every year, at least 100 days a year. Like after school, I would walk to the ski resort. It's a six-minute walk. Uh, so I had very cool childhood. Are there some stereotypes of um, Russia and Russian that you see people have around the world that are not true? That are not true. A lot of them are true, though. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, stereotypes just are a way to optimizing the facts that we know, like collected information. It's, it's a good data set, usually. Of course, it's... I mean, it's it's like a it's like a curve, right? There are a lot of edge cases that you can't put into stereotype, but it's a good data set usually. And I think our people, and our people, I mean East Europeans, all together, are actually very kind and warm. Um, and that's kind of goes against the narrative, but we just we really don't smile much. That's for sure. Um, like if you meet a regular person, you think they hate you until they really open up. So maybe that would be the stereotype I, I'd have to break. <laughs> right. And I've seen um, videos online where they would um, have, they would basically throw babies in the icy water. Is that something you do? So on the night from January 19th to January 20th, we have this, the baptizing night. And it's not actual baptizing that you do once in a lifetime. Basically, every year you just go into the lake, you make a hole in the ice, and ice is usually like two, three feet, so like a meter. Uh, you make a hole in the ice and you have to dive three times, and that's like a religious thing. But from being a religious thing, it kind of kind of turned towards more of a challenge, and even atheists do that now. It does have the religious context to it, but everybody does that. Kids, pregnant women, old people. It's almost amazing. The whole city comes to this super huge cold lake, make holes in the lake and just dip down. Well, in that sense, Bitcoiners are kind of Russian too because there's the hello cold plunge. Um, everybody seems to be enjoying them. I'm still making my way there. I totally see the point of, um, you know, they're actually very warm people because I kind of share that same same impression like I'm, I'm Chinese and there's a lot of like demonized and, and arguments out there and um but this is what I like don't like about politics because right right now everything is politically politi politically sized in a way that you can have a normal conversation you don't seem to have a normal conversation anymore with people from a different culture without these stereotypes stereotypes either you realize it or not because everyone conduct themselves and go into conversations based on the things they they know 
right? So if they hear about what's happening as a country, instead of trying to approach the conversation with another human being and just genuinely treat them as equal without any of the prejudice, then it's it's you you will soon start to realize that you share a lot more in common than you think. Absolutely, I remember growing up, nobody had a political opinion. Like nobody really cared.、Uh, nobody was emotionally invested into any of the political dramas that was taking place in the news. Now you must pick a side. They got so good at making it a showbiz, like a TV show where you always have to have a. Favorite character, otherwise you're just not principal, which is absolute bullshit. Because in reality, I recently made this video on Instagram、uh, before Thanksgiving because everybody gets political on Thanksgiving. Like you and somebody on the street who is on the other side of political spectrum have way more in common than you and the dude of your choice in the White House. Like. <sighs> It doesn't matter who you pick. It doesn't matter which master you choose. You and the person that lives on your street have way more in common than you and with, with any one of them. And also, they have a higher influence of your on your life. Like my neighbor has way higher influence on me than the dude in the White House, whoever is chosen next. That's why I say don't get politically involved in the election. Like. It's a true mind game where they think it's very important who you pick, and you should be emotionally devastated if not your guy is picked. But reality is like you're building your life, and the close people who are close to you, your friend circle, your job,、uh, your clients, your neighbors—they have so much more influence, and that is something that really relies on you. This is something you can change any time, not once in every four years. Not through putting a bulletin in the box, but just actually taking steps every day. So this whole political agenda that is being fed to us for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, I completely disassociated. And I remember how, like maybe four years ago, I totally got into this mode of an angry anarchist who like hates the state, hates the government, and actively talks about it. And at some point, I realized this is stupid. I again get emotionally involved into this game, and I shouldn't. So, probably about two and a half years ago, I completely disassociated. I have no feelings towards that. They can play their stupid games. I build my beautiful life with my family that I choose on a daily basis, with my kids who, who deserve way more emotions than stupid politics. So、um, I'm no longer angry about it, and mostly I just love. I want to challenge you on this because we see, like, especially was recently Malay got、um, elected on in Argentina, and I see two voices, and one one side they're like super excited, let's go, nation state adoption, Bitcoin, especially in the and under the context of Bitcoin, and you you see these these arguments where people either 
want to be politically involved and elect um, politicians that, are, that, that they say they're Bitcoin friendly, at least, because we don't know at this point. Um, and a lot of them are like single issue voters in, in that matter. If you, you know, support Bitcoin, we, I support you. And then the other side of the argument, I think it's, it's a smaller subset of people. They're saying that, oh, like why you're not, why bothered with politics anyways? Like they're all the same. And, um, you know, like that we shouldn't depend um bitcoin adoption to to politicians because it's it's the fiat game still so so which side are you on because we are we are still quite far away from hyper bitcoinization it's it's not going to happen overnight and for the time being we're still in the in the fiat standard and with a lot of the political impact around us um and everyone either you want it or not you're very much impacted by it unfortunately and have to go through a lot of these hurdles um so should people even care about who they vote for and actively make a voice out of this where they they can it's it's way better to just completely dis disubscribe i don't vote i never voted i never will um i do watch who's been elected and i like there's still a lot of good data you can pick up from who got elected, right? Like, I don't think the single person in the office can change anything, but it's a good indicator of, like, what's the average weather in the society right now. Like, the fact that he did get elected just gives me a little more hope that people are waking up towards the how fucked up fiat world is. And also, he does expose ideas that I I do like. So I like that he gets this voice, he gets on stage and says those things to people and gets the audience. But again, I don't think he himself can change much. It's more of a how people take those ideas and again, just, just leave them through day-to-day -day life. Like that is way more important. And um, in my utopian, like, pink glasses, uh, Katie world, I call it Katie's universe. Basically, the way politics works in my universe is I'm becoming a node, like a true node um, of my politics, right? And my politics is, like, basically anarchy in a way that you can do whatever you want as long as you don't cross my, uh, my property, property in different ways, not just the physical property, but like, you don't lie to me, you don't hurt me, you don't hurt my family and all those things, basically natural law. So do whatever you want, as long as it's not in, in my spectrum. And, um, I'm becoming this true node and I run the node, I run the protocol and I start connecting to the other nodes who run the same protocol. And just by, like, I'm not forcing my philosophy on anybody. I only connect with true nodes. And if a malicious node tries to lie to me and say, hey, I have the same politics, but then in reality I see it differently and they start lying to me, they start, um, I don't know, manipulating me or try to manipulate me, I just, it's a malicious node, so I can no longer connect, connect with that. That's not in my network. I disassociate and just... Just like that, just like Bitcoin nodes, I connect with the peers that are running the same protocol and they are my tribe and the rest just don't exist. Okay, yeah, that's a good way to put it because 
basically you have your own system to categorize signals and noise. Yeah, exactly. And I'm in Austin, Texas, which a lot of people would consider being a woke city. I live in a perfect city because I chose the experiences that I get to see. I go to the chiropractor that is like, they're all ex- on the same page. I walk in, there are moms with a bunch of kids. All of them are doing the Biff Talos skincare. All of them are homeschooling their kids. So we are on the same wavelength. Then I go to a sisterhood brunch and it's like all the either Bitcoin wives or Bitcoin or girls that get together. Like everybody in my circle, everybody who I interact with on a daily basis is running the same node. And obviously they're like cashers who are probably on the other side of political spectrum from me. But the small interaction is very transactional and like none of us have any hate towards each other. We just, you know, we just stick with the with the plan, get what we need and get out. Why do you think Texas become such a place to unite these like-minded people? So for me, the geographical location was very important because it's at the border. So if any civil unrest happens, I can just go Latin America and eat my popcorn while whatever shit show is happening here. I can also get on a boat and on the coast, on the coast and sail down whatever it's a safe. Um, and then Texas laws have only always been like gun friendly. There's a lot of land, so the property uh, is a big deal here. I don't know. I think that's the reason. And then Austin just started to become a tech hub. And it's like a good combination of Texas plus Austin. It's like a, they call it blueberry and a tomato soup, which I guess also kind of equalizes the Democrat-Republican uh, scene. It must be a huge commitment for the 21-year-old you to... Fly over, uh, fly across the world, go to somewhere that you don't speak the language, um, and it, it mustn't been easy. And it's such a commitment. So, what was your drive? What did you want out of this? I really only realized how hard it was after I decompressed from the experience. So, like four years into immigration, I looked back and I was like, Holy "Shit, that was crazy." But at the time, I was really up for any challenge. Nothing could break me. I moved to the U.S. I took it one day at a time. I did not realize that I was suffering at some, in some days, very hardcore suffering. But I never even considered giving up. Um, I also did have good habits at the time already, which definitely helped me through immigration because I do see a lot of immigrants going into the drinking hole. I just put one foot in front of another and until I got through that. Yeah, I think it speaks to the trick of getting anything done is is to not overthink. <laughs> Sometimes my friends come to me and they say they're anxious or they're depressed. And one thing that I always kind of say to them is you probably want to try think less and do more. Because if you're trapped in your head, then ideas are cheap. And at the end of the day, we're all defined by our, by our actions that eventually become who you are. Ancestors or our parents, they've 
they've done the proof of work to acquire certain knowledge and acquire certain wisdom that will serve them in the future. But if you just if if it just lands on your lap, then you don't know what to do with it. Um, then it can cause more harm than good in that sense. And I don't think I've ever heard your original Bitcoin story. You became a Bitcoiner after you came to the U.S. Yeah. Um, so I was already able to read something in English. It was like ten months into my immigration, and I went to the language school that I went. I I went to the language school for the first months in the U.S. to try and pick up some English, and then ten months later I came back just to say hi to my teachers and be like, "Hey, look at my progress! I'm already speaking. Like I'm so much better now." And I meet this girl crying in tears, Russian girl who like got kicked out of her host family. She has nowhere to go, and I'm like, "Hey, I'll help you. I'll I'll lend you the car. You'll move your stuff to the hotel. Like you'll be fine." And um, so I just made friends with her. And at this point, I was attending a lot of meetups again for my English. I was just trying to learn whatever I could put my hands on because as an immigrant, it's sometimes it's hard to expose yourself to English as a like as a language. All your friends are Russian. All the things you do are Russian. Like you go to movies, and it's one-way interaction. You don't have American friends yet, so I started going to Meetup.com and this kind of things. And I went to a couple of whatever blockchain things were there and posted pictures on Facebook. So this girl ends up being a producer on one of the Russian TV channels. She only came to the US for two months to learn more English, and then a few months later, she reaches out to me and says, "Hey, Katie, there's this." Cryptocurrency fund and mining company for Bitcoin that is going to the U.S. for a conference, and they need somebody to interview conference attendees and like make a vlog out of it. Will you go and translate all that? And at this point, I'm learning English for like ten months, so I'm like, sure, I'll be a translator. <laughs> sure, I'll interview people. Why not? You pay for my ticket to New York and pay for my stay there. I'm like, sure, yeah, I'll do that. Of course, yeah. Um, and that's how I ended up with my first absolute shitcoin conference. But I'm so thankful for that because, <laughs> like, it was what 2000 since September 2017. The guy just. Like I ask him if I want to actually learn, like the actual knowledge. What do I read? And he's like, "Go read Mastering Bitcoin." I'm like, Amazoning this book overnight and trying to read that, and it's in English. It's quite technical, so it took me very long time to even like, even remotely understand what it was about. But it did get me down the rabbit hole, and I just started googling a lot more, reading tons of. ICO, shitcoin, white papers, just thinking there will be knowledge and、uh, information in there.、Uh, and over time, I got cleared up of the the noise. So basically, no shitcoin face.、Um, I just didn't have funds to put into shitcoin. Like I was truly <laughs> reading everything. Like I'm saying, so many white papers. Like absolute bullshit. And but I was a. A poor immigrant who had absolutely no funds at the time, which that's truly what saved me from shitcoinery, from losing losing the money and all that.、Um, yeah, and then I found the tribe and Twitter, and that was that was really good. See, you never really know what's good or bad for you in in、uh, at the time, right? Seriously. <laughs> what do you think about Bitcoin that aligned with you? I mean, 
so many things. Sometimes I feel like my life was preparing me to be a Bitcoiner all along. Growing up in Russia and seeing hyperinflations, like, okay, something's wrong with the system. Um, having my, as a, as an 18 year old, I had my debit cards shut down for no reason. Like what can 18 year old do to have her funds seized? Or every time I would travel abroad, my cards would stop working because Russia is not on the same protocol. So I can't have access to my funds or they just, you know, shut down my card because I'm traveling and they didn't know about it. And I would just end up in Italy with absolutely no money and not knowing how to pay for my lunch. And now like, I'm looking for people who can cash out my credit card. Like all the small experiences and then studying economics. Like I was really into math. I really like math, but I was looking for something more entrepreneurial for my major. So I thought economics and finance, I could at least apply it in my entrepreneurial experience later in life. So that was also, it was good. It was a good step. And uh, realizing that university wasn't really a good step for me was also a good step. Um, and then through immigration, I saw how, like, I just started challenging everything I know even more. Yeah, all this experience has truly made me a Bitcoiner. And my dad, he was a prosecutor when I was born. And he quit the system because he realized how stupid and how bullshit it is. So mm -hmm. my family is very freedom-minded, I'd say, as well. Um, so yeah, I, I, had, I had all the information and experiences that I needed to become a Bitcoiner. If you imagine an alternative universe where you didn't come to the U.S. and stayed in Russia, how life would have looked like for you? I think I would become a Bitcoiner by now. I mean, especially by now with everything that's taking place at this <sighs> yeah. point. Maybe it would take me a little longer to become a Bitcoiner just because information is not equally distributed in languages. Like there is a group of people that are translating the best books in Bitcoin and the best articles, but it happens like a year later. Uh, they don't have much audience. It's a very small group of people that just bounce ideas around each other. So maybe it would take me two, three more years to become a Bitcoiner. I would definitely be running a business, probably, I don't know, for some reason, something in real estate or construction. If I had to guess, I probably would have two, three kids by now. Wow. Um, you actually have a pretty good idea of <laughs> what that could look like. <laughs> I didn't expect this much information from my hypothetical question, but I'll take but, it. Uh, <laughs> you know what they say? This is uh, the Roman Empire of of women. Like we imagine all the possible scenarios of how like, oh, I could live on Bali and meditate and surf all day long, or I could live in France and be in fashion, or maybe I should go to Latin America and just dance salsa and bachata and work remotely for the rest of my life. Or maybe I'm a stay-at-home mom with seven kids and like, we <laughs> that's what they say, the Roman Empire female is just us considering all the possible scenarios of life. My life kind of happened very much on plan. I remember that I wanted to have my first child at 26. I wanted to have two kids by 30. Like, if you look at my somewhat big plan for life, I'm like totally on point for every step. Um, I just didn't expect to live in Austin, Texas, maybe. Knowing what you know today, what is Bitcoin to you? It's a base layer of my thinking 
at this point. Like, I remember I was obsessed with Bitcoin. Like, I lived and breathed, breath, breathe. Oh, my God. Live and breathe Bitcoin, whatever. <laughs> the English is a second language character coming through. Um, but at this point, I don't hang out on Bitcoin Twitter as much as I used to. I don't read every article. I don't look into every BIP like I used to. I just consider Bitcoin to be the money, the truth. And I apply all the same thinking to the rest of my life. Yeah. And maybe it's because I became more busy with becoming a wife and a mother in my business. Or maybe it's because I over-obsessed over Bitcoin at some time. And I realized, yes, this is the truth. This is what I believe in. And there's nothing to play around anymore. Like, that's it. I got to the bottom of it. Uh, like, I, I'm still curious about some articles, obviously. But it's not a question in my head anymore. And it's just the base, the base layer of how I make decisions in life. Mm -hmm. And this is what I realized is that when people get into Bitcoin long enough and then you both know that you're, you're in that position, then you get together and talk about any, everything and anything but Bitcoin. And I want to bring that talking about everything besides Bitcoin experience um, Bring bring that uh, more in public and have more people realize that Bitcoiners are just, you know, we're humans too. And, you know, you, you read about Bitcoin and all the scams and all the dodgy side of it. That's largely not true in, in news and media. And then Bitcoiners, just like Chinese and Russian people, they get kind of demonized in a way. And they don't, there's no proper channels for, for um, people who are not yet in the space to recognize our... Um, philosophy as a as a human like the ESOs um, and how we conduct ourselves as Bitcoiners and, and how that's that can be a factor to contribute to a more sovereign and free, happy, um, productive life. Um, so I really this is the, like this is the ethos of the show is to really present the human side of Bitcoin and to focus on the live experience and ask the question of what is like to live as a Bitcoiner. Absolutely, and that's why I appreciate my Austin sisterhood and Austin tribe so much. We have this group of friends um, where everybody's a Bitcoiner. We barely mention Bitcoin unless some some core contributors come into play. <laughs> That's why we talk about Bitcoin again. But basically, we have this sisterhood. We have weekly standing brunch. We show up at the same spot once a week and we talk about anything. And it's like you show up whenever you can. You don't show up whenever you can't. And it's a group of 15 girls, and we're just shooting the shit uh, that we're interested in. We talk about relationship, uh, we talk about skincare, talk about a sovereign health approach. And like we'll see life from the same perspective, from the same base layer of Bitcoin. And then we just, again, apply it to all other areas of our life, of our cooking, like all these things. And it's been a wonderful experience, seriously. Yeah, it's, it's like nobody talks about in, get together and talk about internet. It's yeah. like we use internet to do whatever, right? We're, we're, so that in that sense, we're very early. But I want to be able to kind of shine lights on the more positive side of Bitcoin. And let's talk about um, Plan B Passport. Could you give an overview of the work you do around Plan B Passport? Yeah. 
So we basically help people all over the world to obtain a second passport, mostly through investment options. So there are those countries that um, have the citizenship by investment program, which is basically pure capitalism applied to government services. You either donate money into their government fund or you purchase real estate in the country. And on this basis, you obtain citizenship. Basically, it's just like we say in Bitcoin, follow the money, follow the truth. They want to see capital flowing into their country. So they say, hey, if you are willing to put capital down, we are willing to take you in as a citizen. I thank you for your contribution. And that's what that's what I help Bitcoiners to do. Um, couple of examples, for example, Caribbean countries, very well-known tax havens, zero capital gains, zero global income tax. I'm talking about countries like St. Kitts, St. Lucia, Antigua. You donate $150,000 into their economy and you get a passport. And obviously there is like a, a process involved, due diligence that is very thorough actually. But in a matter of five to 10 months, you get a passport in the hand. And this passport is just, for many people, it's more of an insurance policy, a hedge against their home country government. While for others, it's also giving them ability to travel. Because, for example, on Russian, Indian, South African passport, we need visa to go anywhere in the world and we have a hard time getting those. So that's another reason a lot of people get those passports. And... I mean, choice and optionality. We would like to be in the control of a choice instead of being forced to do something. And in case of uh, political instability, a lot of countries shutting down their their borders, especially for male citizens, and not letting them leave. But as a citizen of another country, you yeah. are able to ask for foreign help, etc. So that's, that's what we do at Plan B Passport. Part of the definition of freedom is the option to say no right it's it's option to say no and options in general <laughs> so it's by having that option it definitely gives a lot of peace of mind and um potential and you mentioned the concept of um, flex theory can you elaborate um briefly what what this is as the industry changes it used to be three flag theory five flags theory seven flag theory um but my definition of flag theory overall is the way of limiting your dependency on any one particular state by obtaining flags in a way of second passport, uh, residency, bank account, abroad, a driver license even, or bug out home in order to basically distribute, distribute your risks. Just like, you know, by portfolio diversification, but you're diversifying your life and your reliance on one state. Mm -hmm. um, so second passport is the ultimate tool in this flag theory toolbox. Then you can also look into temporary residency, permanent residency, then um, bug out homes, which is like a real estate that you hold in a foreign country that you can call home in case of civil unrest, let's say. Uh, somewhere you can go and hide another one. And Bitcoin became the biggest tool of the flag theory, in my opinion, because the flag theory originally existed for the sake of um, basically pr protecting your assets. But now we know that SHA-256 is like the best asset protection mechanism. Um, you don't necessarily need a layer of legal protection in place if you have 24 words um, secured, 
securing your assets. So Bitcoin has become a huge tool in this flag theory as well. Huge, huge demand coming from the Bitcoiner community. Um, I saw you in Miami last and every time I came by your booth, it was packed like with all of these it seems like all of these people are just you know super interested i guess the prerequisite of plan b passport is that you have to have a passport already that allow kind of due citizenship is that a, a catch yeah you have to have a passport of your home country you should have a, a clean criminal record because if you have anything on your background you're gonna have hard time being able to obtain a second passport um, and of course, the entry check for investment options is pretty high. Like we're talking about 150 grand. Uh, that's like an average check for a single applicant and around 200 for a family of three, let's say. So it is not cheap. It is not easy as like purchasing a TV on a Black Friday. But um, Bitcoiners are willing to do hard things and they are willing to invest in their safety and security. And that's why we do have the demand. Of course, the demand is very much correlated to Bitcoin price for my audience specifically. <laughs> Everybody wants a passport uh, during the bull market and then they wait in the bear market, which is, I totally understand, time in the market is important. Um, and so now we're seeing a new wave because everybody anticipates the bull market and the majority of the funds you actually pay at the very end of the process. So it only costs like $12,000 to start the process. And then once you get approved eight to 10 months later, that's where the funds need to go down. So now people realize, okay, if I think that we're going to be at all time high 10 months from now, I should start the process today. So we are seeing the uptake. Nice, nice. It's an indicator of bull market as well. Absolutely. Yeah, people are planning ahead and think about where they drop all the dollars once it hits whole time high again. And Plan B passport, a second passport, is, it's definitely a very productive way of spending spending that money compared to a lot of other things. You seem to have a very rigorous customization process and you really take the time to get to know your clients in terms of what they're really trying to do and they're take every case on an individual level to see what is the what's the best option for you based on what exactly you need. Um, so that's always very much appreciated. So right now, based on what you've seen, um, where are you receiving the most interest um, in terms of country? One of the cool things about being a niche product in the niche industry, such as like jurisdictional arbitrage for Bitcoiners specifically, is I actually understand their pain points, right? Mm -hmm. Like unlike <laughs> a lot of bigger in industry players who are not fully versed on Bitcoin, not understand our philosophy of like the sovereign individual mentality. So I truly love the fact that all my clients are Bitcoiners and I can actually connect with them and understand their pains. So that's really cool. Right now we see a lot of, I mean, we're, in it, we're now again seeing the uptake from the US because the elections are coming. So every four years, there is a spike because people are either unhappy with the result of the election or preparing for a civil unrest. And considering the fact that, like, we're so far apart, the Democrats and Republicans these days, they're really driving us further and further from the center, uh, trying to really put rage into our hearts about the other party. 
like no matter who wins, there will be civil unrest. And we don't know to which extent it's going to go. So people are starting to prepare for that. And like in case they need to, they will leave and they will um, go elsewhere and they wait until it's safe to come back. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've seen another uptick. Now, when COVID happened, a lot of Canadian and Australians were going for it because they basically couldn't leave their country, which is not much optionality on the table whatsoever. Um, yeah, so those are those would be the biggest markets as of right now. Right. And what what countries, in terms of the second passport, that are hot in demand? Caribbean countries are still top of the industry because the process is so streamlined and they do offer a lot of valuable things like they don't participate in the in the geopolitics. They're like sitting on the sideline and eating popcorn. Uh, they do offer good offshore banking if you want to participate in the banking system outside of your country. Um, a lot of people can take advantage of the tax regime because zero capital gains tax, zero global income tax, pretty cool too. And those are p- powerful passports. 150 countries visa-free or visa on arrival, all of Latin America, all of EU. Um, so pretty good passport. And the price point is really good too. Now the new leader is Turkey. Basically, Turkey is like if you're trying to hedge against Western country, you want to go with Turkey because they will never ex- extradite you. They will actually like they they're not in bed with the U.S. They're not in bed with the EU. So they will protect you from the government that you're trying to hedge against. Um, so that's that's a really cool program. They have, you purchase real estate for $400,000 and on this basis you obtain the citizenship. You only have to hold the real estate for three years in order to keep the citizenship forever. Um, and another cool perk, you can actually have a Turkish last name on your passport. You can change your last name. So a lot of, a lot of Western citizens started to go for Turkey now. Help me understand the appeal for Turkey. It's, it's a little bit counterintuitive because they have hyperinflation and they've, as a country, have gone through a lot of hardship despite of all the amazing culture. Um, and besides the fact to hedge against and the, the rage and be feisty about, you know, the Western country, what are some of the actual perks um, of going there? So the real estate market is on the uprise. So your investment will, will most likely grow and you can rent it out pretty well for the three years. So the opportunity cost is like really good for all that because you don't waste your money. You actually invest in something that will bring you gains. Mm, and on top okay. of it, you get the passport. So the program is pretty cool. Now, if you're not relocating, yeah, everybody knows Turkey has hyperinflation, but if you make money in dollars or euro, you're fine. Um, hedging against the local currency collapse, you can actually play the game very well. And then, um, like, the political instability sometimes is a good thing because, for example, American government really has their shit together in terms of going after uh, taxpayers, if you go to Latin America, like even the most law obedient citizens never file taxes because they just just don't care and because they know they're not gonna get anything <laughs> no after that. <laughs> yeah, so sometimes you even you kind of want your government to not have their shit together because you do have more freedom. Um, and also, it's like a lot of people go into El Salvador right now, right? 
we know that El Salvador is not in the best place as a country, like not in the best state, but they do have a lot of potential. A lot of people see the same in Turkey. Um, you kind of have to see those trends because the American dream used to be like the top of everything and now people are leaving and um, like you kind of have to see those trends and try to predict what's going to happen in the next 5, 10, 15 years and they believe that because of the western woke wave they need to kind of find a cultural a cultural level of protection too which Turkey fits into that because they're not going to get on with the woke agenda um they do have like the religious basis to again another layer of protection in a way separate state and uh state and church but still church plays a huge role in every state so turkey is just a really good hedge if you're not considering relocating there just a good program to have in place words are interesting because if you think about the american dream and before it was like oh, the 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 grand wish uh, come true to live a happy life and then right now the uh, the uh, right now the american dream feels more like dreaming for people who are still sitting on the fence of getting a second passport when do you think is a good timing to properly consider and start the process i mean obviously it's priorities right so if you're living paycheck to paycheck probably you have other things to figure out before you get a second passport you, yeah you need to close your base layer of the muscle pyramid security and safety uh things but if you do know that you're considering getting a second passport in the next year or two and trying to time the market i'd say best time is to start now because it's too late when you actually need it i've seen a lot of it with my russian and ukrainian clients who were like working on it but very slowly and then the war started and they're in a bad like right now neither Russians nor Ukrainians can apply for a Caribbean passport um due to the geopolitical situation so it's too late when you need it i i see a lot of those people who just waiting for a trigger well maybe the trigger is now there's a lot of low time preference thinking involved in something like this because it's still even for wealthy individuals it's still quite a bit of money to put down to make the commitment and of course it's a process and as much as help people can get from your team to um simplify the process it's still a process where they need to gather informations and there's like a lot of admin stuff and having to deal with a lot of the authorities to even acquire these documents in the first place and i can see that's a huge hustle for a lot of people so you really need to be able to recognize the value and be able to think ahead and um have enough commitment to really put your foot down and do something like this but th- i guess this is what big queeners are are good at um and this is something that they truly care about this is something that you may want to consider if in the long term you see the need of having options and that's freedom right